0: Hi, I'm Vicki Griffin, inviting you to visit LifestyleMatters.com. Whether you're interested in recipes, articles, handouts, books, scripted PowerPoints in English and Spanish, or just watching some great videos on 26 different wellness topics, visit us today at LifestyleMatters.com.
1: I wrote that out just as I was finishing it I heard footsteps running down my hallway upstairs like a full-grown person running through my house and that freaked me out my heart about jumped out of my chest this was a spirit running through my house and I knew that no need for me to go upstairs and check it out there was nobody physical person in my home
0: I am Michael Ksarona, and you're listening to Why I Am Here, a show that shares the incredible stories of our guests and how they can inspire you to have a closer walk with God. Today's show is a continuation of Pastor Dennis' story. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. So on this show, we're going to find out how Pastor Dennis got out of prison Find the truth and actually start going to a church and later on become the pastor of a Seventh day Adventist church. Let's find out more on this
1: show. So, I was praying for some alone time, and it wasn't too long before that prayer came, and I got thrown in solitary confinement. And the beautiful thing about that was in that little cell block, as I contemplated life, as I was reading the Bible, I would uh, open, begin to open my heart to God as to a friend. I laid it all out. And I understand in the book of Hebrews, it says everything is open and naked unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Bible's clear. God sees everything. He reads the heart of man. He knew my motives. He knew things that I didn't know. But everything I did realize that I did wrong, I just brought it up to God. And I put it on the table. I said, look, I'm sorry. I, I can't change it, but I don't want to live like that no more. And I'm asking you, please forgive me and change my heart. And there's a beautiful promise in Ezekiel. He says, I'll give you a new heart. And along with that, I'm going to do a little more. I'm not only going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take away that stony heart, that, that, that self-willed, stubborn, resistant heart. I'm going to take away that stony heart I'm going to give you a heart of flesh and I'm going to put my spirit within you so that you can do that which is right in my eyes so that you can love your neighbor as you love yourself so that you can love me supremely and so that you can allow me to work in you to do and of my will and my good pleasure so that I can restore you into the likeness in which I created humanity and in the very beginning in the garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve he created them in his likeness his image They were like him in character. And so this whole journey with God, He's He's taken me on a journey to restore me and to His likeness and His image. I mean, people were inviting me to church, but I told them, No, thank you. You know, God revealed Himself to me. I said, Lord, you teach me. I want to know who you are. So I get put back in population and I get put in a cell block with a guy named Paul. Now this Paul. We sit up for the next three days and nights talking about God. We rarely, rarely slept for those three days. We're so into the Bible and so uh, interested in sharing back and forth what we understood about God. At the end of three days, he pulls out from underneath his mattress a little booklet. And on that booklet, it says, Amazing Facts. Now, I was kind of reluctant at first to even read it because I already understood God said, Read my word only. And so I I picked it up and I read the first one. I opened it up, I I should say, and I started scanning through it and it was filled with Bible verses. And the first one was, is there anything left you can trust? With a world that's broken, with a world that's corrupt, with uh, politicians that seem to be uh, speaking out of one side of their mouth one time and the other side the other time, and you don't know who's telling the truth. Is there anything left you can trust in life? When your family leaves you, when your job displaces you, when you're... Your best friend lies or betrays you. Is there anything left you can trust in life? And so I I open it up. I begin to read it. It's filled with the word of God. And I'm like, okay, I I can do this. And it begins to build the foundation of why you can trust the Bible. And then I read the second one. Then I read the third one. And I went through a whole series and it was just filled with the word of God. And what I loved about it is it allowed the Bible to interpret itself. It would take one topic and gather all the Bible texts on it. And by the time you're done reading all those Bible texts, you understood what the Bible taught on that. For example, you'd understand where the devil come from. Did God create a devil? No, then he created a beautiful angel. You read it right there in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. And so I understood if if what somebody is sharing with me isn't harmonizing with the word of God, then you know what? They're trying to lead me in the wrong way. Ignorantly, maybe. Purposely, maybe so. But... However it is, it's not the way that God is leading. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means what he has spoken here in the word, I can trust it. There was a, a church group that had a, a prison ministry in their church. And so they had started sending them into different prisons. And when an inmate got it, he was so thrilled, he'd sign up other people. He'd share it with other people, and they'd sign up for it. So it would just permeate the prison. And so just as I was excited... I started telling everybody else in my pod about it and signing them up and they started getting, we got a Bible study group going on and it was amazing. So here I am, I'm studying the Bible, I'm reading the Bible and I'm in and out of court waiting for a decision to be made. And finally the decision comes. I go into court one day and I I sign the plea agreement. I choose the five-year open end. I come out of the courtroom, the federal marshals, and I got to know these guys pretty well. I mean, the same two guys always came and got me. And uh, he said, how'd it go today? I said, well, I signed a five-year plea agreement with an open end. And he, he had this real puzzled look on his face. And he said, you did? And I said, yeah. I said, I have faith in God. And he looked at me and said, so do I, but not that much. Now, what he knew is something I didn't know. What he knew was 90% of the time when you sign an open end plea agreement, they give you extra time. They just add to it because that's what that's why they leave it in such a way as that. Because you sign for five and when he sign it and says it's an open end, that means the judge has the privilege and prerogative to give you 10 more, 20 more, 50 more if he wants and you cannot appeal it. So I left it at that. I went back to the jail. I just left it in God's hands. And uh, several other things transpired. God really revealed himself to me in some really profound ways. It was a real blessing. I'd go to court then for sentencing. The judge asked me to stand up in court. I stood up. And just well, just before I walk into the courtroom, my attorney tells me, you can pick the prison you want to go to. And I looked at him. I was like, what? You guys are setting me up. I'd never heard of nothing like that. I've been locked up a couple of times. I'd never heard of anything like that before. You guys are setting me up. It was quite obvious. I knew I was going to prison, no doubt about it. For how long, I didn't know. My longing was to see my son again. And you know, I talked to him on the phone. It just broke my heart. I tried to explain to him. I remember one time talking to him on the phone, and I said, son, I said, uh, you know how it is when you when you don't behave, and I send you to your room, and you kind of get grounded. Yeah, dad, yeah. I said, dad kind of messed up, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm getting grounded. And so, um, I don't know when I'm going to see you, but I know I'm going to see you again. I said, but this is going to make me a better father. And it just broke my heart, the words that came out of his mouth, because he said, Dad, you've always been a good father to me. I was just, it just floored me. It just broke me. I just went in my cell after talking to him and just cried. I walk in the courtroom. I sit down. Few things take place. The judge invites me to stand up. He said that your attorney explained to you, you could pick the prison you want to go to. I said yes sir I said uh, he advised me that there's this prison up here in this area of the country I I probably should pick that place my attorney said this is like the Cadillac of all prisons like there could be a nice prison <laughs> you know and so I tell the I tell the judge that he asked me a few more questions I answer him, and then he says well I'm going to give you 21 I just put my head down I said praise the lord Thank you, Jesus. Because in the federal system, they don't sentence you by years, but by months. And so I didn't get five years. I didn't get 10 years. I didn't get two years. I got 21 months. Amazing God you serve. Amazing God I serve. In the book of Psalms 103, he said, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins or reward us according to our iniquities. But as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his love and mercy to those that fear him and trust him. I was stunned. I was shocked. All I could do is thank the judge. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Your Honor. I I, I could dance. So they take me back to my uh, the jailhouse where I'm going to finish serving out some time there before they transport me, move me on. So while I was waiting, an interesting event took place. Uh, a group of us were sitting there, we we're watching a, a documentary, and a gentleman come up and he changed the channel. And I thought to myself, what are you doing? I stood up, I changed it back. He stood up, he changed it again. I stood up, I went to change it back, and he slapped my hand down. Now, now I'm face to face with this guy, we're about to get in a fight. And a friend of mine says, Dennis, he says it's not worth it, let it go. And I thought, okay, I'll let it go. And I walked away and I turned around. I said, you know what? I started talking to him and talking about him. And I hit a prideful spot in his heart. And these guys are like, come on, go take it to the cell block, duke it out. You know, so I'm like, yeah, let's go back and talk in the cell block. Because you could go back in your little cell block and you could fight back in there where the officers couldn't see you. And so my intent was not to fight with him. He used to be a minister of the gospel and he's locked up. And I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with him because we used to study together and pray together, but now he got weird on me. And so I'm walking away and he hits me from behind. Before I know it, I'm in a full out fight with this guy. And in the fight, I could feel the rage coming up in me. And I had him up against the wall and it was like God stepped in and broke it up. And we stepped back apart from one another. And I think we're in shock because we're out in the open where the guards could see us. But they're not doing that, they're just watching and i go and i sit down on one side of the room and he goes and sits down on the other side of the room and as soon as i sat down i heard god say to me very clearly you go over there and you apologize to that man there's a couple of things you don't do in prison one of them is you never reveal that you're weak because as soon as you do that others are going to stand up and get in your face and test you but God, when he commands, he empowers. And I didn't think about it. I didn't think about the consequences. I didn't think about what other people would say or think. I just stood up and I began walking across the room and it was silent. Everybody's watching. They're they're wondering what's going to go on. And I walk across the room and this guy's eyes are just getting bigger and bigger as I'm coming over the table. And I just stretched my hand across the table and I said, look, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And I said, look, can, can we go back in a cell? And can we can we pray together, you know, and talk? And he says, yeah, we can do that. And I I turned around. And I walked back across the room and I sat down. You could hear a pin drop. And this this other guy looked at me says, I can't believe you did that. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe I did it either. Sooner or later, you got to choose to do what's right, no matter what other people think or say. No matter what the consequences are going to be to do. Choose to do what's right because it is right. And and the beautiful thing with God, he says in Isaiah one eighteen, he said, is if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat of the good of the land. And I love it because God says willingness comes first, then he gives you the strength. You see, in Psalms one hundred thirty eight, eight it says, I will perfect those things which concern you. I will not forsake the work of my hand. We are his workmanship. And it and the burden of his heart is to restore us back into his image. And so that's what he was doing. He was humbling me and he's empowering me to walk in meekness and lowliness of heart and and own up to what I was doing wrong. And so God blessed. So I went on to prison. I did my prison time. A lot of other things happened there. You can read about it in the book. I get out of prison. I have nowhere to go. My family don't want me. I'm the black sheep. You know, nobody knows what I'm going to do. I'm going to come out. What am I going to go back right into it again? I was locked up before I got back involved in it again. But I I choose to be homeless, have nowhere to go. I go to a homeless shelter. I find a church to go to, and I'm going to church from the homeless shelter. I want to go to a Sabbath-keeping church because I read about the biblical Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, the Sabbath that Jesus kept, the Sabbath that he said was made for man, the Sabbath that was given at the beginning of creation, the Sabbath that I read in Isaiah 66 that says, from one new moon to another, and from one sabbath to another shall all flesh come and worship me. So when God recreates the heavens and the earth, there's this still the seventh day sabbath, he's going to invite us to come and be a part of.
0: At this point Dennis is out of prison. He's living in a homeless shelter and he wants to find a church, a group of believers that follow the Bible and the Bible alone. When we come back, we'll find out more how Dennis Page actually found a group of believers that worshiped on Saturday, the Sabbath day. Of the Bible. This program is sponsored by Village Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you would like to learn more about Village Church, please visit villagesda.org. Are you wondering how you can spend the financial blessings God has given you? Join Village Church as we partner with the El Salvadorian Union to build the first Adventist college in El Salvador. If you would like to learn more about this opportunity, please visit villagesda.org.
1: And then I started searching for a church. Who, who goes to church on Saturday? I'm like, and I'm in the prison. I'm asking everybody. They're like, I don't know who goes to church on Saturday. Go up to the chapel and see who comes in on Saturday. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean they go to church on Saturday. It just means they got a chapel spot on Saturday. And so I went up there and I, I look and it's the Roman Catholic Church. Well, I already knew they don't go to church on Saturday. My mother was Roman Catholic. My grandmother was Roman Catholic. And, you know, and I understood their position in the world and in religion uh, from Scripture. And then I'm going down the line, I see Seventh-day Adventists. Oh, Seventh-day Adventists, that's kind of a weird name, but who are they? And so I, I go to one of the uh, worship services, and I, I just listen. Are these people about the Bible? Are what they're talking about in Scripture? Is it foundational? They're in the Word. And as I listen to them more and more, and I'm reading my Bible, I'm checking everything they're saying. I, I don't want to encourage people. You go in the church, I don't care if it's pastor, priest, or pope. Compare it to the word of God. And so I'd encourage people, you know, study the word, know, know what it says. And if somebody's saying something contradictory, you know, you got to come to a point where you're going to follow Jesus no matter what. You know, he says, if you don't love mother, brother, sister, and wife and children more than me, then you're not worthy of me. You can't be my disciple. And it's not that he doesn't want us to love our family. But when you put them above him, well, there's a problem. They become an idol, you know, and he says, I'm to be loved with all your strength, all your mind and all your soul. I found a Seventh day Adventist church while I was in prison. I went and listened to them. When I get out, I figure, well, I, you know, these people have been true to the word. I'm gonna go try to find one of these churches. So I, I find one in the community. Actually it's in the next town. It's in the middle of the winter. I get out, New Year's Eve. What a day to get out. You know, everybody's partying in a homeless shelter. I'm sitting in my little room on my cot there and I'm just reading the Bible. I don't want nothing to do with that party out there. And so I'm coming up on the first Sabbath of the year. So I walk for about three hours, it seemed like in 10 degree weather on a Friday morning to find the church. We finally find, I get talking another homeless guy into going with me and we find a place. We get a bulletin for the next day and uh, we walk back. Now the next morning we get up early cause we want to be on church on time. And so uh, we walk again that whole walk and we probably walked about oh four four or five miles. Seemed like forever. But when it's freezing cold, it does seem like forever. And so we go there. It's our first Sabbath there. Amazing experience. Uh, they're having communion. I've never taken communion before in my life. And so it was a little embarrassing because when they passed Unleavened Bread around, as soon as they gave it to me, I put it in my mouth. My friend was an, a Lutheran and he had taken communion before. So he's over there laughing. He's sitting behind me laughing. And and you know, the interesting thing is when you're a new believer, you sit up front in church. And it seems like the longer you're in church, the further you move back. I don't know why that is, but I notice that these days. So uh, we're up front. so. As I got this piece of unleavened bread in my mouth, I, I haven't let go of it yet. And I kind of look out of the corner of my eye, I see my friend laughing. And I kind of noticed nobody else is eating hers yet. So I pull it out of my mouth and put it down by my side, you know. And then I hear the guy talk and he, you know, he prays and he says, eat and I eat. Oh, okay, now you eat. Okay. And so when they brought, when they brought the grape juice around, I, I knew don't, don't just throw it, you know, swig it down, you know, just hold on to it for a moment, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of an interesting thing. Then they did this thing called foot washing. And that was kind of interesting. So I go in this room. Everybody's, you know, the men go over here. The girls go over here. The couples go over there. And I'm like, all right, well, I've read about this in the Bible. I know Jesus did this. So, okay. I sit down. I'm thinking to myself, who's going to wash my feet? (laughs) You know, it's just, you know, it's a really interesting way to start the first Sabbath out of prison. But I had a beautiful experience. It wasn't long before the people really loved me. They cared about me. They started picking me up, taking me to church. Evangelistic series came up. I invited a ton of people from the homeless shelter. Several people were baptized. I was just thrilled. The burden in my heart now is to to win people, to, to share Jesus with people. God rebuilt my life, brother. I was so, so thankful. Uh, he took me from being homeless to at, by the end of the year, I had my own home, got my son back in my life. And now, now when I was telling that employer, when I was telling him, if there was anything I do right with my life, I want my son to know who Jesus Christ is. God wasn't going to use that man or anybody else to show him who Jesus was. God says, you know what? You're going to teach him who Jesus is. You're going to be the one. Unbeknown to me, he was going to bring me through all that turmoil, all that trial, all that that mess. And he was going to give me a beautiful revelation of who he is. And he's going to allow me to share that with my son. And so I was so blessed to see my son grow up. He didn't get involved in the things I was doing. He went to college. He got a good degree. He got a good job. He's doing well. And I'm praising the Lord for that. In the midst of all of that, when I'm out of the homeless shelter, I'm living on my own. I'm, I'm praying, you know what? I need a godly woman in my life. Now, I'm meeting some godly women, but I'm, I'm praying about this and I want to encourage people if you' if you're if you're a Christian young Christian or, or an older Christian, let God choose because I can tell you he's not going to mess up. Everybody has choice in life and sure there are people that uh, it was clear that God ordained them to be married and went through a terrible time and they got divorced and but the thing the problem there is uh, somebody which one of them I don't know if one of them or two of them, maybe both of them uh, would not submit to the will of God and allow God to heal and mend that relationship. So I started praying for a wife, and uh, I won't get into how God orchestrated all that, but I meet a, a beautiful Christian woman. She's from the Philippines, but she's living in England. Now, that was all right, because I was on my way to England to speak. And so we had dialogue for about six months, and you know, I knew 2001, I have this experience with God. 2003, New Year's Eve, I'm getting out uh, as 2002, New Year's Eve, going into 2003. I'm out of prison. I'm homeless for a year. 2004, 2005, 2006, I'm working for a contractor. You know, I couldn't find a job. Let me back up and tell you this. I could not find a job because of my my crime, my record. And I'd go into these interviews and it would say on the application, you fill it out. Have you had a felony? Well, yes, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell him Yes. And then they would always ask you this question. I don't know why they ask you this. What did you do? If you had a felony, what was it? Oh, my. I'd I'd ask them for more paper to explain myself. You know, I'd have two pages writing out a story of what I did, you know. And so during the interview, when they'd open it, they'd flip it over, and they'd begin to read all this. I could just see their face change. And when they said, I'll call you, I knew they weren't going to call me. That was going in the trash can. Nobody ever called me. And uh, I was praying. I said, Lord, I want a job. I, I need a job. And somebody from the church offered me a job doing construction work. And I had some construction experience. And so I I worked for that person for a couple of years. And then God allowed me to get out on my own, have my own business. And so God was establishing me, giving me abundantly above all that I could ask or think, bringing my son to know Jesus, having my own house again, and uh, a better life. Because now God's first. I'm praying for a godly wife. So I meet this woman, and it's evident that, We're studying the Bible together over the phone. We're uh, emailing back and forth. We realize God is leading. So after six months, I go to England, meet her for the first time, face-to-face. I propose to her. She says yes. She told me to count the cost. Of course, I didn't understand what she meant by that. But she understood when you got married, something was going to change in your life. And... uh, she said, you got to call my mother. I said, well, all right, sure. I call her mother up. Her mother lives in the Philippines. And I asked her mother if I can have her daughter's hand in marriage. She said, well, well, you come on over here and talk to me and we'll we'll discuss that when you're here. And so I fly back from England, back to the States, uh, work a little more, book a ticket to the Philippines, go over there a couple months later, meet the family. And my wife told me, she said, look, my family has this thing called a family council. And it's good when your family comes together and they give you good counsel. And I want to encourage people, listen to your family council. Godly parents were given wisdom and experience for a reason, so that to give guidance and direction to their children in a broken world to save them from heartache perhaps they've already experienced. And so she was determined that if anybody in her family said, you know what, it's not right, she wasn't going to marry me. Even though she already said yes, she was going to unhook that chain and say, you know what, see you later. We went, we had a family council, they were good with it. Praise the Lord. We got married. I was excited. Her name's Melody. Beautiful woman, beautiful voice. And the thing was, I was praying, God, give me a woman that can sing because I can't sing. Anybody hears me sing, they thought the dog was dying. You know, I can't sing. I I rejoice to share my story. I rejoice to share the word of God. So we got married. We've had a beautiful journey together. And through all of this, what I love about God is the more you discover his character, what he's like, the more you want to be like him. The the thing is, is as he's revealing what's broken in your life, it's okay to say, "Lord, I'm messed up here, but I know you can fix me." In Psalms 86:5, he says, "The Lord is good and ready to forgive." It shows this beautiful picture of God sitting on the edge of His throne, looking down upon us, and just saying, "You know, if you'll just tell me you're sorry, if you just ask me for forgiveness." if you just open your heart to me as a friend, I, I can make all things right. I can make all things beautiful. And, uh, you know, God is anxious, friends. God is anxious to restore us back into his likeness, his image. And so when my wife said counted cost, what I did not realize was she knew about a family saying that her family had. And that was, if you want to expedite your sanctification, in other words, if you want to expedite your growth in Christ and holiness get married. People would say they bring out the best in you. Well, not quite the best. <laughs> the best of the worst maybe, but it comes out. Yeah. Because dealing with it, we don't have the we don't have the means. We're we're dealing with a foe, enemy of righteousness, Satan himself, who opposes everything that's right and pure and just and good. We're dealing with a foe like that that has power beyond any human element, any human ability. And so we need divine intervention. We need divine power if we're going to walk with God and do those things right, if we're going to allow him to restore us and make us whole. Well, just God took us off right into the ministry. We did a lot of prison ministry. Uh, I was doing construction work, working for myself, so it was good. I could take the time off when I wanted, and we could travel and go places. We really enjoyed that. We wrote a book. Our first book came out uh, called From the Cell to the Cross, and then since then I rewrote that book and uh, retitled that A Drop of Grace, because as I look at my life and reflect upon my relationship with God, it was like I was in this pit of darkness, looking up, and it was like just this one drop of grace. That's all it took. There's no pit of sin that you could be in that God can't bring you out. There's a, a book I read when I was in prison called Steps to Christ, and it's a beautiful book, and I remember reading this part in a, in a book, and it says, you can keep all your wants, your joys, your sorrows, your cares, and your fears before God. You cannot burden him. You cannot weary him. Why? He's the one who numbers the hairs of your head. He's not indifferent to your wants because the Lord is pitiful and very merciful, His heart of love is touched by our sorrows and even by our utterances of them. Take to him everything, take to him everything, my friend, that perplexes the mind. For nothing is too great for him to bear for why he holds up worlds. He rules over the affairs of the universe. Nothing that in any way concerns our peace is too small for him to notice. This is what I love, this part right here. There is no chapter in our experience too dark for him to read. Oh man, that's so beautiful. My life was dark. Mm-hmm. But there's no chapter too dark for him to read. He understood my brokenness. Right. You know God had watched me from birth on. He put all my tears in a bottle. He was collecting. He was monitor- he was watching. He was he was there. You know, some people wonder, where was God when this was happening to me? God was right there, and his spirit was overwhelmingly convicting the person that was about to abuse you or use you, betray you or harm you. The Spirit of God was impacting that person's life because God wanted to save that person. But the beautiful thing about God when He created us, He gave us all the freedom to choose. Now, we're involved in a great controversy. God was there. God was trying to save that person, but that person would not yield to Him. And so one human being inflicted pain and hardship on another human being. And so God was there. And unbeknown to me, God would take all these experiences in my life and he would begin to heal and mend me. And then he would connect me with others that were suffering and going through the same things. And I could say, you know what, I understand what you're going through. And I know there's a God above that can heal and restore. That's what I was doing in prison ministry. My wife and I, we were praying. We wanted to get involved in ministry full time and just waiting for God to establish us. And the day finally came. We had just came back from the Philippines. We spent about six weeks over there and I had a burning, yearning in my heart. And we got to go get some training. We got to do something for these people here in this country. And we, my thought was go to school, get some education, learn how to train people. Because when you multiply the laborers, you can multiply the kingdom, expand the kingdom, I should say. So I wanted to get this training. My wife and I wanted to go and get this training. We wanted to go back to the Philippines and establish a training center. Because I, I already took some training, but it was just a short 10-day. But that 10-day impacted my life at Emmanuel Institute up in uh, Michigan. And uh, that was life-changing for me. And I thought I needed more than 10 days. I really didn't want to go for only 10 days. I wanted to do the whole course. It was like three and a half months. But, but God was like, hey, wake up here. Let me show you something, what I can do in 10 days. So I had that burden. We went to the Philippines, and we came back. And this burdens on my heart. And we had just shared with some people, you know, uh, it'd be great to go to school. And one Sabbath, this lady came up and she gave us a hundred bucks. She said, this is for your schooling. We weren't asking people for money. And I came home, I shared it with my wife and uh, we talked about it and we knelt down, we prayed and we said, Lord, if you're telling us now is the time to go to school, we'll sell everything we got. We'll put it and we'll go to school. We said, just send people to buy it. Well, we started having yard sales and garage sales and God was sending people buying up everything we had. And as he was doing that. I was, I was working on building this one house for this guy and the HVAC guy telling him about how God was working and what he was leading us into. He went home and told his wife, his wife called us up and said, you know what? I'm going to pledge a thousand dollars for your schooling. And I was amazed. I was like, what? I was so excited to come home and told my wife that family, that couple, older couple pledged a thousand dollars a month for five months straight. And then when we went off to school, they pledged $300 a month to help support us while we were in school. Long story short, money just flowed in. We didn't ask nobody for a dime. Money just flowed in. People were just giving us money. I walked in a bookstore one time, and I walked out, and a lady chased me out and gave me 100 bucks. Some people come up and give us $20. God was saying, you're going to school, and you're going to school soon. It took about a year. We sold everything we got. I had some good jobs. We, we saved a bunch of money. God made it possible. Went to school. Went to a school called Mission College. Studied under a gentleman named... Pastor Louis Therese, probably one of the most studied and experienced ministers of the gospel in the world today. I mean, he travels all over the world. He trains thousands of people. Couldn't train under a better person than him. I really couldn't. And so trained under him. God was calling us. We didn't know where he was going to lead us. And before I knew it, we got picked up by the Michigan Conference, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Michigan Conference. And here we are at the Village Church serving the Lord full-time, praising God Happy, thankful, grateful. Where I was, drug dealer, uh, just messed up, wicked, evil. God is waiting. In in the book of Jeremiah, he tells children of Israel, he says, if you would just turn, if you just turn from practicing wickedness, he says, I'm willing to heal you. You know, he says, in that that chapter, he says, I'm married to you. This relationship with God, it's like a marriage covenant that he wants to make with us. So, there's no chapter in our experience too dark for him to read. There's no perplexity too difficult for him to unravel. There's no calamity that can befall the least of his children. No anxiety harass the soul. No sincere prayer escape the lips of which our Heavenly Father is not aware of. He heals the brokenhearted, He binds up our wounds. And the relationship this is amazing thing the relationship between God and each soul. They're just as distinct and full as if there was not another person upon the face of the earth. And so today, friends, I don't know where you are in your walk with God or if you even have a walk with God. Perhaps you're, you're living in a dysfunctional family. Perhaps you're a young teenager and you're living in fear of what your friends would say if you chose a different path, if you did what was right. And I want to encourage you, don't worry about ridicule and criticism because it's going to come either way. But trust God, stretch your hand to him. Put your trembling hand in his and he'll take it and he'll take you on a journey that will just enrich your life
0: hey thank you for listening thus far we've actually come to the end of pastor dennis page's story and i hope you have been inspired to know that god can transform anyone no matter how deep in darkness they might be this is michael xarona and you have been listening to why i am here for more episodes please visit villagesda.org. We would like to thank Pastor Ron Kelly and his pastoral staff for making this show a reality. We would also like to thank Village Seventh-day Adventist Church in Bering Springs, Michigan, for their support and sponsoring this show. If you would like your story to be featured on this show, please visit villagesda.org. If you have enjoyed this show, please remember to subscribe, review, and share with your friends. You can also listen to this show on your favorite podcast platform. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.